This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback from the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. All right. What is this Ryan Tannehill cutting off the recorded bit at that exact moment? Would have been much, much better if he introduced me. Uh, can't be spending all this free time leading assault weapons and rental cars, Kenny. Hey, I'm not bitter. Uh, just off the top of my head, I do think we need a uh, new show intro. Thinking we can have Jason Lockenforder do it. Good evening. This is Jason Lockenforder, and I represent the Insider with a PH. Uh, welcome, everyone, to another episode of Insider Radio. <clears throat> I'm Keith, your host for the next 90 minutes. As always, I am flanked by my co-host, Duke, and James, the show's producer, its heart and soul, its guru, if you will. Uh, guys, it's a pleasure to have you here with me on the show. I dread the day when I have to replace you with robot Jason Lockenforos. It will bring me no joy to do that to the two of you. And uh, I apologize for the vampire stuff. Uh, it was all brought about because my wife watches Vampire Diaries on Thursday night. It's like dark shadows over here whenever she watches that crap. And... Uh, the girls on that show are entirely hot, and that's enough to sway me on vampire programming. <clears throat> I just say no. Anyway, enough about my life. We've got a wonderful show for you this evening. We'll say about NFL free agency, which begins on uh, Tuesday, I believe. Uh, we'll discuss some of the recent pro days that have taken place. Sammy Watkins appears to have enjoyed his workout, I think. We'll talk about ESPN's Todd McShay's most recent mock draft, which was released this morning. Uh, as we all guessed, he really put himself out there with the Dolphins selection. I can tell you that. And we'll discuss, of course, a strategy should be dramatically different following uh, free agency. <clears throat> of course, we plan on doing all of this chatting with you, dedicated listener, loyal to the Lock and Four Vampire Robot cause. We want to hear from you tonight. All you got to do is call into the show, 347-326-9461. Give us a call anytime during the show. James will get you set up to join us on the air. Simple as that. Again, that number is 347-326-9461. We look forward to hearing from you. 
Uh, we'll talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. You can also follow me on Twitter. KNBA488 is my handle. Uh, feel free to tweet me any questions during the show. I'll do my best to answer them. Uh, let's get things started with the opening. Free Agency 2014 next Tuesday. We've made it this far. And as far as I know, Eugene Monroe hasn't been re-signed by Baltimore. Uh, so, guys, are you saying there's a chance? Uh, you want some kind of probability? Because you have to imagine that. I mean, that guy's going to make some money next week. And by some, I mean a freaking ton. So, I mean, is Miami the team to beat here in terms of load, uh, adding that guy? Um. I don't, I don't, I don't know that they're going to be the team that's going to maybe throw the most money at him. Um, I think they're the best team that's going to throw a lot of money at him. So I'll put it that way. Um, I don't think Arizona will match what uh, Miami puts uh, puts out there. I don't think uh, the the Raiders can match it, but I don't think they will. Um, so you know, I, I think that. <clears throat> Ultimately, I, I think he will. Uh, Miami will be his first stop. I think. I, I think he'll want to come back to Florida and play. And and uh, I think, you know, from what I'm reading, you know, he seems to be the number one target. Although that could all be smoke screen at this point. But uh, you know, some people are saying, you know, you read a lot of the beat writers and they're saying he's an okay left tackle. He's a good left tackle. He's not elite, and you're going to be paying elite money. But I, th- I think he's a pretty good tackle. Um, he, he's better than what we had last year. Uh, I don't think we need to leave anyway. And I know you're going to get to that point uh, uh, eventually. But I mean, we're not. We don't need a world beater here. Like I don't. I don't need freaking Anthony Munoz over there to lock it down for us. I just. I need a, a strong, quality left tackle who's going to help ensure that my, you know, my quarterback isn't isn't in a wheelchair prior to week three. Yeah, and and what I like most about him as compared to the other guys, um, I kind of like Jared Veld here too. Um, I don't think he's leaving Oakland though. I think they're going to try to keep him. So I've never really had him on the radar. But um, the thing I like about Monroe as opposed to Albert or whoever else is that he's only 27 or will be 27 during the season. So this is a guy in the prime of his career. You can sign him to a five- or six-year deal and, and be pretty content that he's going to still be there within that time period unless he just absolutely sucks, and I don't I don't think that he will. So, um, you know, and I think he'll be the number one target, but I do think that there will be, uh, within the first couple of days, I think Miami will go out and sign several, several offensive linemen. Um, do you think that they can, uh, they can lock up Monroe quickly, or do you think this process is going to drag out a little bit as he explores options? Um, I mean, it depends on what kind of information they have. I mean, we don't know, but I'm, I'm certain they, they probably have an idea about how much um, how much Baltimore is offering um, and how much he's wanting. And, and, and I don't think that uh, so far Dennis Hickey doesn't seem to be uh, just out there just throwing money around. Um, and the, that's one thing about Jeff Ireland. I think last year that he he made some 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 signings and threw money at people, particularly the linebackers, uh, and, and that didn't work out. But but I, but I think Hickey at this point is kind of like he's I don't want to say conservative, but 
I think he's being reasonable with the contract. So I don't I don't think that he's going to go out there and just say, hey, listen, we're going to give you a you know five year, sixty million dollar kind of deal off the bat. I think he's kind of gauging what the market is. He's going to look at uh, he's going to look at um, what's going on with uh, what Walter Moore's offering him. Uh, find out from his agent, say, find out from Monroe's agent, you know, this is what Baltimore offers, this is what we're willing to offer, and I hope Monroe takes it. Um, you know, I don't know that he'll get the Mario Williams treatment where they basically lock him in the building and say, you're not leaving until you sign, but uh, I think they'll bring him down here and and, and let him um, look around the facility, they'll bring him in and talk it over with him and, and go over uh, you know, go over everything and, and then start crunching the numbers and try to get something ironed out before he decides to go visit Arizona or whoever else it is he wants to go visit. And, uh, I mean, and, and one thing people were, you know, I read today is that some are saying that being a perennial contender is a is a selling point with Baltimore, but they were only 8-8 eight and eight this year. And, Without Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, they just didn't look as good. Uh, so, so I don't know that that team may be there. Yeah, they just won a Super Bowl, but I, I don't know that their window is still there um, right now. And I know a lot of uh, – some fans will, will disagree with that, but I, I just don't see it right now. I don't see this as a team. They've got some. They've got uh, Suggs, who is probably their best star, but I think when they lost Lewis and lost Ed Reed, they lost a little bit of that something extra that they had, and, and I think you saw it this year, and I don't think Joe Flacco right now is the kind of guy, I mean, he had that nice playoff run, but he just doesn't seem like a, the kind of guy that could just take over the team and, and put it on his back and win games, so um, you know, I, I think if I'm Eugene Monroe, I'm looking at that and saying, well, you know, I was here last year, we didn't do as good, you know, and, and Miami at least has an excuse that they didn't have an offensive line. So uh, I think that uh, I think we're the best fit for him, and I think he'll he'll realize that. And I think he'll take I don't want to say a team friendly deal, but I don't think he's going to get the overly extravagant deal that that some are making out to be. I mean, it's going to be a, a big, it's going to be high high dollar contract, somewhere between eight and ten million a year average type. But um, you know, I, I don't think he, I don't think we're just going to go out there and just throw money bags at him and and just trying to lure him here. I think Hickey's going to be a little bit smarter than that. Simply because because there are other other people out there to look at. Well, that was actually my question. What other offensive linemen would he be taking a look at when free agency opens up? Well, I think the four names of uh, of tackles that are out there right now, of course, it's Monroe, there's Brandon Albert, uh, Jared Bell here, as, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, Anthony Collins, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me, from Cincinnati. Uh, Monroe is probably the most proven of the, he's the best of the bunch. Um, Albert is probably on the same level in terms of talent. It's just he's older and has questions about durability. Um, Bell here has, has played games and he's steadily improved, but he's kind of that unknown quantity. Uh, and, and he if he if he does not sign with Oakland, I think he's a dark horse to come here and play. Uh, because I think he would I think he would take less money and I think 
I don't think the difference in the contracts going to reflect the, the difference in play. I think he would be a, a very good left tackle for us. And then Collins is just he, he's played. He's not been a full time starter in Cincinnati, but in the times that he's played, he's been very very effective. So um, he's a guy that can get his chance. But um, I'm st- I'm sticking to the Monroe thing simply because I think he's he's the best of the bunch. He's I think the youngest of the bunch, and um, you know he's a guy that you can rely on long term. I mean, he, if you sign him. And he plays the way you expect him to play. You, you can forget about that position for you know at least five years. So you can't with you can't with Albert. You can't with Collins. And I'm not sure how old Delph here is, but I think he's fairly young too. So he might be. But yeah, that's that's kind of the way I'm leaning with Monroe. And you know, it was kind of funny when I wrote that post the, the other day. I thought, well, you know, I thought that it's as soon as I write this and publish it. I'm going to read the next morning that that Monroe has signed, but it, it appears that he is they've not been close. And you know the Ravens and, and uh, Ozzie Newsom are kind of notoriously stingy when it comes to giving out these free agent contracts, which is why you know Danielle Ellerby is here and not there. And so uh, you know I think Monroe knows he can get money from other teams more than what the Ravens are offering. So I think it's why he's holding out, and I think he knows that the Dolphins will lead that team. So uh, it's just funny. I, I didn't think two weeks ago that it was a possibility, and now it seems like more than just a possibility. It seems you know, somewhat likely. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, by the way, I think uh, the last time I heard, I think Dolphins is 26, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so he's he's in that good range now. Yeah, I think he'll be. Uh, He'll be 27 later this year. That's the last time I heard anything about that, though. Um, it's got one question in the uh, the thread that caught my eye, and uh, I kind of got away from it for a second. But uh, I think it's definitely worth worth a look. Uh, Pocket Aces uh, suggests that since this draft is one of deep- the deepest in the past, well, 23 years, wow, uh, do you think we should trade 2015 picks in order to move up more picks in this draft? Um, it depends. Um, I mean, it just depends on, on where you think guys are. There was a an article that I read today, and I'm not sure if Kevin was going to post it on the site or not. It was actually on the explanation site for the Seahawks field goals. And... Uh, it was about kind of uh, a uh, scouting and draft philosophy. And it was pretty interesting. And at this point, we don't really know how Kiki is in terms of building his draft. One of the, the aspects that they talked about in that post was some teams, like I believe uh, Bucky Brooks, who writes for NFL.com, the former uh, scout, said that they – he, when he worked for Carolina, they would have a, a uh, draft board of about 250 players. And some of them said, you know, Bill Belichick will have 75 players on his board, and that's it. And these are players that they consider draftable. Everyone else is off the board. And so we really don't know how Hickey, how Hickey views this. Is he a complete um, – is he a straight-up horizontal uh, or vertical drafter where he just takes the very next player on the board and they draft is he a horizontal drafter? How, how does he work with that? And I think that depends. Uh, that'll determine kind of 
how they want to view this draft. It is pretty deep, but it's deep at certain positions. It's not deep in a lot of positions. One of the, uh, in my opinion, one of the weaker positions in this draft is inside linebacker. You've got it's top heavy with um, a couple of guys like C.J. Mosley, who is one of my favorites. And then after that, it's got guys with question marks. But it's not a very deep draft. However, you've got a deep draft in terms of uh, offensive linemen and tackles. Um, you know, you can get a second second round guy this year at left at offensive tackle who could probably be a starting left tackle in the NFL. That's kind of how deep it is. Um, I read something the other day that said uh, the number one overall pick from last year, Eric Fisher, will probably not be a top 15 pick in this draft. So um, find that very interesting. Um, it's deep at uh, it's somewhat deep at uh, defensive tackle, I think, and it's deep at wide res- wide receiver, which is good because that means that you can still get a guy in the second round of this draft that is a you know a, a pretty legit starting caliber. I mean, you look at some of the guys at the lower end of the first round. You know, some guys we looked at like Odell Beckham or Brandon Cooks. I know you're a big fan of Brandon Cooks. I mean, if these guys really in the 2013 draft. If if Cooks was in the 2013 draft, he goes in the top ten probably. I mean that's kind of how weak that draft was. Um, and he and he's an end of the first round type guy of this draft, which is just very interesting. So, um, you know I'm a big fan of Dante Moncrief. I really want the Dolphins to draft him. Um, he, he is my he's my bandwagon guy this year. So I'm kind of hoping he, he is a guy that could sneak into the first round. But he's a guy that I think you can get in the second round and be a starter. So it's deep at certain positions. Depends on what what position Hickey wants to to fill in the draft. If he if he has the Belichick type board where he only has certain players he considers draftable, you know he he may he may trade back, you know, um, and and get rid of some picks and move into next year's draft. I, I just don't know that. I can't say for certainty right now that trading picks to get into into this draft is the way to go unless you know they just see the need to accumulate more picks for this year with what's still on the board when they're drafting. So, I mean, it's kind of we won't know until it happens thing. I know it's a terrible answer, but it's about the best one I can give you. So, Well, he mentions that if we stack up an offensive line in free agency, uh, we'd be tempted to draft playmakers at offensive skill positions uh, with with your uh, your first two picks. I'm I'm thinking that I, I don't know if it necessarily would be offensive skill positions, but more so uh, the fact that I was thinking about it today, there aren't very many players in this draft that have a problem with, with with taking in the first round. I mean, I can I can just about justify uh, any of these these guys coming in. I mean, if you want to go ahead and replace uh, the likely hole, we'll have a defensive tackle. We're probably going to be able to do that at 19. Uh, looking less and less likely that we're gonna we're gonna get a crack at TJ Mosley, which kind of sucks. Uh, some really good corners have come up, and I understand that corners not necessarily a pressing need for us because we have a lot of guys in waiting. But suppose you have some of these outstanding, uh, really cover corners available in the first round. Where, is there anything that could happen to, to make you think uh, to make you pull the trigger on one of those guys? Because this is an impressive corner class. Um. Again, I think it just falls to the, the to the board there. I mean, and I, I, 
you know, I follow Omar on Twitter, and uh, I'm probably one of the few fans that actually kind of likes reading some of the stuff he writes on Twitter at, at times. But he's been people have been talking about you know picking up this cornerback or that cornerback in free agency, <clears throat> and he said that no, with Patterson still here, it's pretty deep at that position, and he's kind of right. He says he's got Jimmy Wilson that plays nickel. Uh, Patterson and Grimes can start, you know, and if Patterson can stay healthy, he said he's a very good corner. So we are kind of loaded at that position, but you have question marks. Number one, um, you know, Patterson's got a big uh, cap hit. Not that the Dolphins necessarily need a lot of money right now, but they were pursuing a lot more free agents and they needed that money. He's a guy that could become a cap casualty. The other thing is he just can't stay healthy, uh, and it would be kind of, um, naive to expect him to stay healthy for a full season uh, next year as he's getting older. And, you know, anybody that gets older, get, as they get older, can tell you, you know, your body just doesn't recover as well the older you get. And so, again, it just, I just, I don't think that's likely. So if Nolan Carroll gets free agency and it looks like he's going to and go elsewhere, then unless the guys from last year step up, you know, then, then you, that might not be as deep of a position. Now, you're not going to really know that until training camp, but it's going to fall down to the board. And so, I mean, Hickey's probably right now, he's watching tape of all these guys. He's talking with the coaches and they're saying, you know what, the guys we have are all right, but if, you know, player X or player Y falls to us at 19, I'm going to take him at that position. And so it would not surprise me, you know, if, if one of those uh, – hiring cornerbacks falls to Miami at 19 and they took one. Um, I think, you know, I think you've mentioned before kind of how, you know, he's, with what he's done in in previous uh, work with Tampa Bay and kind of some of the things that he, he's basically going to, he's going to stick to the best player available kind of philosophy um, and, and, and take what's there, whether or not it necessarily fits the need. So, the one thing that I think Miami's going to attempt to do is go into the draft without a lot of glaring holes. Um, you know, they may need some upgrade positions, but I think the offensive line is going to be built through the uh, for the free agency. I think they're going to replace some of the defensive tackles. Uh, at, <coughs> excuse me, through free agency, I think they're going to try to do something with the free safety position. Uh, during free agency, so that when we get to the draft, that whoever we pick, wherever we pick, is basically just whoever they want to pick and fill the position. And I, and I kind of like that. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go into this draft needing to draft a defensive tackle because you kind of get you kind of get in this danger zone of, of reaching for a guy or trying to fill a need for a guy that doesn't necessarily fit and. I think we saw that a lot with Jeff Ireland. And, you know, of all the things people don't like like about Jeff Ireland, that was one real big negative is that he tended to panic when there was a, a, a run in the draft. And, and the biggest example was in 2011 with Daniel Thomas. Um, running backs were going off the board, and he makes this trade to go up and get Daniel Thomas. And, you know, it didn't work out. But you don't want to make that kind of same kind of uh, situation in this draft where, you know, suddenly we're sitting there at 19 and and the 12th picks on the clock and there's a 
run on defensive tackles there for a couple of picks, and he, he's like, oh, crap, I've got to get a guy. And we trade up to get a guy that, you know, may or may not be a good fit simply because we need one. So, um we're taking your calls throughout this show, 347-326-9461. I'm a little under the weather tonight. You'll have to excuse me. I sound like hell. I know as much. Uh, we're talking about um, free agency, uh, upcoming drafts, talking about options right now. Uh, we could, well, kind of staying on topic, but switching gears a little bit. Uh, I know you saw the the latest mock draft out on ESPN today. You almost ruined it for me, by the way. You sent me uh, the pick right as I was as I was uh, opening the uh, the page. But uh, so what? Well, first off, do we really live in a world where Blake Bortles can get drafted over Jadavian Clowney? Uh, yeah, I think we can, we live in a world where um, teams value the quarterback position so so much that 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 could happen. And it was a question that Jason Scott and I discussed the other night on a, on a, one of the random live threads, is that looking at it, I mean, Clowney is the best prospect in the draft. Um, in terms of athletic ability and what he brings to the field, I would say the only person right now that kind of rivals him is Sammy Watkins. Everyone else is not that good. Uh, not as good as they are, I should say. So, um but the question is, will will what Jadavion Clowney brings to say the Houston Texans equate to more wins than what Bortles would if he becomes a franchise quarterback? Because I, I saw that question posed when, earlier in the season when Jacksonville had the worst record, and someone was saying, "Oh, they're going to take Bridgewater," and somebody said, "No, they'll take Clowney." And whoever it was, I read said. No, the, the the franchise quarterback always equates to more wins than a franchise defensive end. So that was a question I kind of posed the other night: is you know, if if Houston or whoever else believes that Jadavion Clowney is, or they believe that a quarterback is is the franchise guy, he is the man. Then, you know, in my opinion, I think you have. They, they they can take that guy simply because, you know, the value of a guy like that, let's say Bortles turns into a top-five quarterback in the league, that guy's going to always bring more value if that happens than a guy like Clowney. The difference is you don't know if they will, and Clowney seems more of a sure, sure-fire pick. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, in a sense, it's similar to the Jake Long-Matt Ryan situation. Um, when Miami had the first pick in 2008, is Jake Long is the safe pick? He's the sure fire pick. Matt Ryan's the he could be, but we're not sure pick. And you know, Houston will look at that and say, hey, you know, which is going to be the right right decision here? Do we go with the quarterback or the or the, the safer prospect? So it's very possible that a quarterback goes number one, and it could be Blake Bortles. Well, the interesting thing is if. If Bortles does go number one overall, uh, that's best case scenario for St. Louis, who will have the uh, the number two pick? Because you have to imagine that could start a, a bidding frenzy to to trade for that number two selection. 
I mean, we're we're hearing about Atlanta's all about Shady and Clowney. Uh, a couple of other teams, it sounds like, are are really in it for him. You keep hearing Tampa Bay as well as as a franchise that really wants to get that guy uh, um, and is willing to, to trade up to, to number two to, to get him. So my question is, we keep seeing Johnny Manziel going to number four overall, going number four overall to Cleveland. It's if it's not near unanimous, it's close. Uh, do you see that happening? Do you think that that's how it's going to come down on draft night? That I mean, Johnny Manziel, who's in every prospect ranking you see, that guy hardly cracks the top twenty. Uh, he's he's right on the cusp of like a top twenty prospect. A lot of them him going number four overall. Is that going to happen? Um, I mean. Again, all it takes is for one team to just fall in love with the quarterback and just to say, hey, this is our guy no matter what. And that could be Johnny Menzel, and it could be Cleveland. Um, it would not surprise me if he went number three to Jacksonville because, um, you know, they they skipped out on Tim Tebow a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, they're they're a team that needs to sell tickets. And nobody shows up to their games. And while Tim Tebow, you know, was not a great quarterback prospect in terms of um, his um, skill set at quarterback, Johnny Manziel's a lot different. He brings a different uh, – he actually brings a little more conventional skill set to the quarterback position than what Tebow did. And he's a guy – he's, he's a name – polarizing figure, and if, if Jacksonville wants somebody to discuss that franchise and put themselves on the map, that would be a good pick to do it with. And, um, you know, I think that the, the coaching staff down there probably feels like they could get the most out of him. So I, I could see him going number three. I could see him going number four. I could see him fall out of the first round. I mean, it's just it's not really up in the air with where where he's going to go, and his, his whole thing is going to come down to the interviews, how he did at the combine, and, and how he, he is when teams meet with him in, in, in private uh, private meetings. How how that goes, right? Um, that is going to be pretty interesting to see as well. Oh uh, boy! Uh, I'll, I'll ask the. We'll, I'll I'll bring this topic up because this is. Kind of along the lines, uh, we mentioned it. You mentioned it in the intro. Is that um, apparently Sammy Watkins had like the best pro day ever, and uh, I believe I read something today that Mike Mayock said this was one of the best receiving prospects he's seen in 30 years or something. Um, how high does Sammy Watkins go? I well. You have to imagine that he's absolutely in play for that number five overall pick. I think he can. If if Jadavian Clowney goes number one, I mean, we have, we have to bring this into context. Clowney goes number one. I think Watkins can go number two. Mm-hmm. If Clowney does not go number one, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a, a, a free-for-all for that number two overall pick, then I don't think Watkins is going to get there. And But if it comes out that 
Rams can't reach a deal for that selection, I think the I think it's quite likely they're going to take Sammy Watkins. That I mean, you keep talking, we keep hearing that they're in it with Sam Bradford and they need to find him the kind of receiver uh, he deserves. Well, and you can't enable him any more in terms of a skill position player than Sammy Watkins, in my opinion. I know a couple of people think that, or uh, people I've seen online, uh, analysts, they're called, think that uh, Mike Evans is a good, uh, a strong fit for St. Louis, and I'm certainly not debating that. But I think that Watkins is a knockout. And at number two, if if, uh, Clowney goes number one, then I think that Watkins quite possibly becomes a no-brainer. But, I mean, I don't know. A big reason why I say that is uh, Jeff Fisher has never been a huge fan of taking offensive line in the first round. And I understand that uh, those streaks are broken all the time. Last year we were hearing that the Giants don't use uh, first-round picks on offensive linemen, and they took one. So all of those streaks end at some point. And I know that Greg, Greg Robertson is just getting so much so much hype and so much adulation right now. It's really quite unbelievable. And I mean, it's certainly deserved. I mean, that guy's an unbelievable position, and he hasn't even scratched the surface of what he's going to be able to do at the NFL level. But I think for most bang for the buck in terms of what the Rams need to do, because the Rams are plenty stacked on offense. I know they need a safety. Uh, I, I, I know they could always use linebacker depth. But if you're just looking for pure bang for the buck, I mean, who over Sammy Watkins? It's got to be Robinson or Sammy Watkins. And personally, I, I think that the Rams are historically more suited to go with Watkins than them. If they want to do something with that second pick, which I think they also have the 13th selection, they could get someone. So yeah, I have to I read, I, Oh, I'm sorry, continue. I read some stuff today that said that the, uh, the Detroit Lions are, are really big into Sammy Watkins. So... Um. Yeah, that's going to be fun playing them next year if they took him, with Calvin Johnson and Sammy Watkins. That would be dreadful. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, I I don't see a scenario in which Sammy Watkins is going to make it to number ten. But I mean, if if Detroit's willing to to go ahead and make a little bit of a a move to ensure that they can get him, then yeah, that is that's a disgusting receiver core unto itself. Because you, you you keep hearing how, or we keep hearing about how Detroit just needs that great number two receiver. Well, and that's in, in my opinion, you have two elite number ones. Uh, that's that's gross. So the um, what I think is really interesting about this draft is is the top kind of ten to twelve prospects um, are all guys that I think are going to push other players that are worth a top 12 or top pick down to us at 19. Uh, you know, you, you've got the quarterbacks, which it's very possible that there could be four quarterbacks. Let me count a little bit one. But, yeah, there could be four quarterbacks taken within uh, the top first 10 picks. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see that. You've got several offensive linemen, I think, will go. You've got guys like Sammy Watkins, and uh, Clowney, of course. So, I mean, they're going to be guys that are going to get pushed down the draft board simply because of the quarterbacks and some of those offensive tackles. So, 
um, you know, I think Miami's kind of sitting in a good spot to to pick pick up a good player at 19 um, that will uh, can can be a playmaker that will, may have gotten drafted higher in a in a little bit weaker draft. So that's kind of my hope with with CJ Mosley, and and I think that he will definitely be in play now uh, with with Miami. You know, having uh, having um, entertained or uh, whatever we hosted. Dequell Jackson this week. Uh, I think they're looking to upgrade the middle linebacker position, uh, move LRB out to a weak side linebacker, and dispose of Philip Wheeler in the best way they can. Um, that uh, and, and so if he falls to the top, if he falls out of the top twelve picks, which he might. I've seen some mock drafts. It's just weird with him. I've seen some mock drafts have him go as high as twelve. I've seen some go as low as 30. So I, it's kind of all over the board with him. But I do believe that um, he could be there at 19. He would be an absolutely outstanding pick. And uh, that's kind of what I like. I mean, and, and you know, fans want to hate Jeff Island. But one thing you can say about him is that he, he, had, he has put the team in somewhat of a position to, to be able to draft what they want to now and not kind of reach for some stuff, even though we still have holes on the, on the team. And in a deep draft like this at certain positions, we can certainly um, we can certainly draft for what we want to, when we want to. Hold that thought for a second. We have a first caller of the, the evening. It is the dubious, distinguished Dolphins fan <laughs> for life. Caller, right. how are you doing? I'm doing all right, guys. How are y'all? Good. Dan, just, just Danny, actually. Uh, what's up? What's on your mind? Um, well, I read an interesting tidbit today about Matt Castle um, and um, the Houston Texans having kind of a mutual interest. And I wonder how that affects people's draft boards because I know a lot of people have Houston picking a quarterback, but if they pick up Castle, who didn't do too well in Kansas City, did all right for New England, um, but he kind of, if you look at the differences in the schemes, he kind of was successful in the type of scheme that Houston somewhat run. They're more West Coast than they, than Kansas City. Um, how do you see that affecting the draft board, like, as far as, like, the QBs and who could be pushed down or what kind of trade well, do you see in place? If they if, find, well, personally, if Houston's on the fence of taking a quarterback and Matt Castle is uh, having them lean toward Clowney, that team deserves to lose every game for the next five seasons, in my opinion. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I am not a Matt Castle fan. Uh, it's funny, though, because he, he routinely fools these teams. He'll go there, and it's almost like the Milton Berle thing. He just he takes out just enough <laughs> often, and I mean, and, and it's uh, I can't, I don't even know how I'm. Man, I am off, just absolutely off my rocker tonight. So you have to excuse me. I'm just, I'm just not really a fan. I mean, I I can understand why some people would draw that parallel. I think that if Houston's on the fence of taking a quarterback, I think I have a hard time believing that they're gonna. <laughs> they're going to have this current crop in the draft uh, 
up against a, a guy like Matt Castle. I, I struggle to buy that. But, I mean, anything could happen. I know Bill O'Brien's, Bill O'Brien's a new head coach. I imagine he's probably going to want his guy. I think that's why so many people think that of all of the quarterbacks in this draft, uh, the one with really the, the most upside, the guy who's most malleable would be Bortles. I mean, the, the stuff that he does wrong can be easily corrected. Uh, he's he's good on the run, and he's just got incredible size. I mean, you hear the Ben Roethlisberger comparisons, and I'd say that after looking at Bortles, they're valid. Uh, what do you think? I think it's, um, I think it's going to it, – it depends how they really feel about this quarterback class. And if they think that – at this point, in my opinion, you're not comparing Matt Castle to the quarterbacks. You're comparing Jadavion Clowney to those quarterbacks. And if you think, all right, these quarterbacks are good, but they're not great, and I can kind of use Matt Castle as a placeholder until I get my guy, then I'm going to take Clowney. I think that's kind of what you're looking at. Not so much that oh, I think Matt Castle's my guy over over these quarterbacks, it, I think it just depends if they how 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 set they are in terms of, of getting Clowney. If they won't, really want Clowney, then I think Matt Castle is more of a possibility just because he gives them a a way to do that and not you know not not kind of fall into that um, you know kind of Chad Heaney scenario where well we took a safer player and took a lesser quarterback. When, you know, kind of thing. I think they said, well, we we got this guy. We just haven't found our guy yet. We're going to let Matt Castle kind of hold the place until we get our guy. And then, you know, I think that's kind of what you're looking at. So, yeah, Interesting point. To... Because it, the, the question is, is Jadavian Clowney's draft stock so magnificent, so shiny, that it could it could literally think have a team look at Matt Castle and say, yeah, we could probably win with him. Because I mean, that, I mean, I mean, that's it, it, it's that possibility, and I mean, absolutely. When, when you think about it, you you put him in that defense, you've got him, um, you know, you've got him kind of, in a way, it's kind of protecting um, JJ Watt a little bit. You're getting these guys, and you're going after the passer, and you're you're playing in a division that really only at this point has one quarterback. Um, so, I mean, it's still, you know, depending on what the other teams are doing, you're still kind of up for grabs. You know, is Matt Castle the kind of guy that can, I mean, we, we look at him kind of as a Chad Kennington type quarterback, that he's a guy that can, he's not great, he's not elite, he's never going to be the kind of guy that's going to take over and take your leader team to the Super Bowl, but he's a guy that can win games. Meanwhile, at the same time, you're making you're making a you know one of the scariest defensive fronts in the NFL uh, by adding you know this once in a once in a decade pass rusher uh, along with what some consider maybe the best player in football in JJ Watt. So you know that's kind of how that's kind of how I think what they're going to look at. They're going to say, are these quarterbacks in the draft? But I think they at this point. With what you know of Clowney, what I think you're going to get from him, and you know, I think you're looking. I think they're weighing that versus 
are these quarterbacks in this draft, the top-end quarterbacks, are these guys going to be the next, you know, Aaron Rodgers, next Tom Brady? Are these, uh, is one of these guys the next, you know, the next big quarterback? Because if they're not, and they're not entirely sold on that, then even if you bring in Matt Castle, you can still draft one of those quarterbacks. I mean, I, I don't think bringing in Matt Castle is going to completely, you know, if you're if you're talking about this in terms of quarterbacks, I don't think bringing him in is just going to say, oh, we've got Castle now, we don't need to draft Blake Bortles. Still, I think they could still do that and, you know, let him sit for a year or whatever else. But I'm just saying that I think they're saying, I think they have to look at this. If they're not completely sold, when they go in their meeting rooms, and they're not. A, it's not a unanimous that hey, this quarterback is the guy. Then you, I, I think, in my opinion, you have to take Clowney simply because he's a, he's a safer pick. I mean, you have well, to I be think... convinced that one of these quarterbacks are the are the guy. And if they're not, then then Castle's that good kind of a good fallback plan for them. I think a more realistic situation here would would just be to say Houston values like a second round or third round quarterback in this draft. Uh, in light of what Jadavian Clowney can do for them on the defensive side of the ball. I think that makes a lot of sense, as opposed to, to you know, Milton Castle. I just think that uh, if I'm going in any direction in this draft, you bring up a good point, though. Do you, I mean, is can you look at Johnny Manziel or Blake Bortles or Teddy Bridgewater? Is that guy going to become the kind of quarterback – that Jadavian Clowney will be as a pass rusher. Is he going to have that level? And I tell you, it's a lot more likely that that Clowney is going to do his thing as opposed to the the other three on uh, under center. I think it's a lot more about basically just who you're going to get it out of quicker. Because you get, like, these quarterbacks, I keep seeing the Aaron Rodgers syndrome. They're going to be good quarterbacks. But they're going to need to sit a year or two first. And, I mean, well, I, I'm with TCP in the fact that I don't like Manziel at all. But I personally just think he's like a smaller version of Jamarcus Russell. But, you know, if if you're going to sit somebody down, I mean, I could I, – I just – if you sit them for a couple of years, they're going to be good. If you if you try and put them in there from the get-go, they're going to struggle. I mean, you could say that with any quarterback class, but if you're trying to get your biggest bang for your buck and you just had the first overall pick, I, I just – I don't see an Andrew Luck. I don't see uh, – I don't – even see a Russell Wilson, I just see a bunch of Aaron Rodgers and Jamarcus Russell. Um, well, if we do. I have two questions. Uh, one was draft related. The other is because you mentioned Andrew Luck earlier as the the other guy in uh, in the AFC South, the the one legitimate quarterback. Am I the only person who thinks when Andrew Luck talks, he sounds like Buffalo Bill? from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the 
Every time I hear him talk, I feel like I should be in a well. I feel like I should be asking him to count cookies, but that's just me. But I don't know. That too. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm going to get to this next question, and then we're going to have to um, well, I wanna, move on. I want to. I want to say something. I think at this point, we can start to look at this 2012 draft class. It's kind of unique. Mm-hmm. One thing that I, that I read from different different fans on not just our side but other sides. That they say, well, you, 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 wait, don't take a quarterback this year. Wait until you get the next Andrew Luck. And when I, when I read that, I want to say, Andrew Luck was considered the best prospect since Peyton Manning, who was drafted in 1998. Some even said he was the best prospect since John Elway, which was in 1983. So if you're waiting on, on if you're waiting on on uh, the next Andrew Luck, you may be waiting for the next 15 to 30 years because. Mm-hmm. You know, just because a guy is a, a good quarterback prospect doesn't mean he was as highly regarded as Andrew was. So, you know, when, when I see that, I want to say, you know, well, you're, you're probably going to be waiting for like waiting for the next Andrew Luck because there's just not going to be one. But in regards to the 2012 draft class, I think we can kind of go ahead and say that that's a pretty darn good draft class for quarterbacks. And, um, well, uh, and if I could interject for one second. Ahead. um. I have uh, really good news. Uh, at some point, Kevin just called in. I'm getting a message that he'll join in what he wants. Asking you shall receive. I talk about Buffalo Bill. He calls in. That's how, that's how it works around here. So my my question, and he'll jump in whenever, uh, Dolphins fan for life, is because the assumption right now is that we're going to do a lot of things in free agency regarding the offensive line. And... um which one would would assume will alter what we do with the number 19 pick. We keep saying we're going to take an offensive lineman, and it's not just an offensive lineman. Everyone has them taking Zach Martin. I'm sorry for being the one of the initial people to push that bandwagon. I feel like I, I brought something terrible on you guys. Uh, so if you're making the number 19 pick right now, let's assume that we make some moves on the offensive line in free agency. Who are you going to take at number 19 overall? And C.J. Mosley is not available. I'm going to be honest with you, and I've been it, – it it basically depends, but it's one of two people. And, you know, I've been pushing my guy pretty much all year long um, from Vanderbilt, Jordan Matthews. I know people say we don't need a first-rounder. But, you know, he allows us to get cheaper, younger, stronger. And, yes, Gibson does save us one point some odd mil, um, which isn't much. But, you know, you're looking two to three years in the future with this or even, like, next year because all of those contracts pretty much get to a point where you can just cross them off with a minimal cap hit. But it's either Jordan Matthews or Aaron Donald. And the reason yeah, I like, why I say I like, Aaron Donald is because he can play three technique pretty well. Um, I think a combination of him and Audric in the middle does more for us than Audric and Solii or Audric and Starks because of the simple fact of the way that 
um, the way he likes to use his front lines, it will allow us, you know, and I notice we got all these pass rushes at linebacker, but it allows you to drop Cameron Wake, who's pretty decent, you know, at covering tight ends. It allows you to drop, you know, whatever, and then rush the linebackers. You can just do so much more with Aaron Donald than you can with Soliak. And, you know, and, you know, that's, you know, but if he's not there, then I think two to three years away because I look at the offensive line and I'd rather have the top of something than one of the five best. You know, and then you have Suafila in the second round. You've got James Hurst in like the fourth round. You can find those pieces to the offensive line that can pretty much, if you find that many starters in free agency in this kind of draft class, you can find those other guys to fill the rest of those needs in the later rounds. You don't need to have a first-round pick, a second-round pick, but say you've got Pouncey in the middle, there's your first-round pick right there. Say you got Monroe on the other side. So you've got in you know at right guard, old boy from Kansas City or Washington or wherever the hell he's from. I get them too confused a lot. Um, but say you've got that, you can get Hurst in the fourth round, and you can get Suafila in the second round, and you can focus on the best of what you have at that position. Which to me, if I have a choice between what's that one offensive tackle that fell like drastically. He has a hard name to pronounce. Um, like, he had a bad combine. What's his name? Uh, yeah, what position? Quanjo. Yeah, Quan, Quan, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Quanjo, Quanjo, Ouija, whatever. You know, if I have a choice between him, Aaron Donald, or, you know, whatever, or Jordan Matthews, I'm taking Aaron Donald. If I have a a choice between, you know, Jordan Matthews, who not only has pretty much surprised everybody at the Combine, but he also, you know, he's a great route runner, and you're trying to fix your image any damn ways, and he's good outside of the locker room. He is inside the locker room. Then you go with a guy like that. But, Tom, here for life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's just finish. We gotta get on to our next caller. Okay. Uh, actually, I thought I thought you were done speaking, but uh, go ahead and uh, finish your last thought because I, I think this is actually pretty interesting. Um, but you know, we focus too much on need. I mean, there's need and a BPA, but if you focus too much on need and you get the fourth best person or the fifth best person over the first best person then you're not really helping your team out in the long run. You know, it's it's just not feasible. So either Aaron Donald or Jordan Matthews are my pick. I'm with you. No. I like Rasheed Hakeman, too. I think that's, that'd yeah. be my pick right now, if I could. Uh... And and I think that there's, a, there's really a number of guys that you could, you could swap there at that 19. They would, you know – that I believe we're going to feel a lot of needs in free agency, but you can just put in there. I mean, a cornerback, a safety, uh, a number of defensive tackles, 
uh, a couple wide receivers. Um, you know, I think there'll be plenty of guys there that that we can choose from uh, that will be not only good picks, but you know, will be considered upgrades. I mean, yeah, if they want to take you know Jordan Matthews at at nineteen, go with that. I mean, you know, I think we're going to be in a position we can do that. All right, um, we got to move on to our next caller, Dawson Sands for Life. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we hope to hear from you again next week. Always. <laughs> All right. All right, have a good night, buddy. You too. It rubs the lotion on its skin or it gets a hose again. It's not, that's not a very good impression, impersonation. <laughs> well, I figured I had to start somewhere with my first line of the night. You, you could have just cut in at any point when we were talking there, and you, you come in with that. I was, I was listening. Uh, my my thoughts, and I know you, I know you're trying to get to the Floridian debater. Um, my thoughts right now on the draft are my number one is I, I'm really starting to swing toward Donald. Um, I'm not 100 percent there yet. I'm really swinging that way, but I'm still I'm still looking at Pryor. I really like the idea of Pryor. If Chris Clemens isn't back, um, I don't think. Yes, I want thank to you. I said that on on Twitter. Where were you when I said that on Twitter last week? And I was pretty much boiled alive. I don't know. I didn't know you said it on Twitter last week. Oh, bogus! Too busy hanging out, <laughs> spraying people in your well, or whatever it is you do. <laughs> well, wait. Was she not a great big fan girl? <laughs> but okay, I'll let you get flirty and debater now. Yes, thank you. Miami, Florida, you were on the radio. Hey, what's up, guys? Well, Kevin just joined, so we're, we're not as in good spirits as we were prior. I'm sorry about that. Uh, don't make me... Oh, why? Oh, why? No, no, no. We're, we're, we're happy to have you. Louis, right. what's up? Uh, well, I'm going to piggyback off of what Dolphins fan for life was saying, but I'm going to take it in a, a, the opposite direction kind of a thing. I, okay. I'm, I'm still convinced that we don't need to be staring down the defensive tackle position in the first round of the draft. Because the way I see it, we still have players who have potential to play that position. I'm still looking at A.J. Francis, who Belichick liked enough to poach him off the practice squad. We still have Audric hanging around there. So maybe in the second or third round to get some depth in there. But I'm not looking at defensive tackle as a first-rounder when we have the offensive line as the one gigantic glaring need on the whole uh, Dolphin team. Intriguing. I think, that, I think the issue with that, though, is the fact that you are at that point you are assuming that the Dolphins did nothing to address the need in free agency, especially since you're looking at a draft in May versus a free agency class for next week. Well, first so, of all, um, you're, you're right to some degree. Offensive line is obviously a bigger need than defensive tackle, but if you lose both Starks and Solii, defensive tackle does become a big need, and I don't think the Dolphins are going into the draft with nothing filled on the offensive line. Let's well, get the context first, out. though. But real quick, so before we, we start the defensive tackle talk, and I want to get Duke in, in on this as well because this is something we've discussed 
are who are we losing? Are we losing Stark and Soleil? Are we losing Soleil? Are we losing Stark? Who goes? And then I think you take it from there. At the moment, well, it looks like both. Yeah, right now it looks like both. I think there's going to be kind of a late hour deal, a late hour offer with Starks. Um, I think that Soleil kind of wants to move on. I think that the Dolphins want to move on from him. And when you look at when you, when you look at what they bring, I, I think they're moving more toward a a full on. Um, four-man front now and less three-man fronts, even though they'll still use some of that. But I don't think they necessarily need a nose tackle. And when you look at when you look at that position, one thing that about the defensive tackle position that Miami does a lot of is they use a heavy rotation. These guys rotate in. So if you're using a first-round pick on a guy like that, he needs to be a guy that plays a lot of snaps. Not defensive tackles just aren't playing a lot of snaps like that. And that's one of the things you look at with Paul Foley. Is he just didn't get a lot of snaps. And when you bring in, when a team like New England plays this, and we've got, they go into a kind of a hurry-up mode. You need guys that are good against the run but can also get after the passer. And that's what Starks brings. And I think, I, I didn't see the contract that Jay Ratliff signed, but I think for the, Older defensive tackles, and I know 30 is not old, but it is for, for the NFL. I think that's going to kind of set the market, and I think that Starks is probably not going to get the kind of money he wants on in free agency. So I think he, uh, I think they try to re-sign him and um, and let Soli out walk, and and uh, and if even if they don't. Sign both. I think they'll still sign the defensive tackle in free agency. I don't think it's out of question that Tony McDaniel comes back, uh, or maybe they go after a guy like Lynn Ball Joseph. Um, so I, I think both the offensive line and defensive tackle position are going to be addressed in free agency. I don't think there'll be as much money spent at defensive tackle as they will spend at uh, at on the offensive line in free agency. But I think that going into the going into this draft. You know, I think if you draft a defensive tackle in the first round, it's going to be a luxury pick, in a sense, more than a need pick. Because I don't think it's just going to be you know, the guys we have right now. They're going to add somebody. And if there's one of, the, one of our starting guys that are going to come back, my bet would be on Starks. Interesting. Um, okay, if you wanted to know that contract that Ratliff signed, that is actually a two-year deal worth $4 million. Worth how much? It's two. It's a two-year deal, four million dollars, six hundred thousand guaranteed. Hmm. Starks will get more than that, but fascinating. But I, I think he'll get more than that. But I don't think he's going to go out there and get the huge payday. And I think Miami's probably what Miami will offer will probably be better than what he's going to get somewhere else. I mean, unless unless some some teams love cap space like Jacksonville or Oakland just throws money at it. Um, even Indianapolis. Um, he seems to got a lot of cap and want to throw money to, to fix some of their defensive line, but I think he's going to go out there in free agency. He's going to say, hey, Miami's offer's not that bad, and I think Starks will come back. Interesting. Uh, who would you take, Debater? If you don't want to if you don't want to go with the defensive interior, what are you looking at at 19? You want me to be honest? 
you got me hooked on the Zach Martin idea. Ah. Oh man. And what, yeah. what, what, what was said earlier about how I'm assuming that we didn't do anything in free agency, that's not true. I'm looking at – I'm hoping we get a handle on Eugene Monroe to take the left tackle spot, either that or Albert, if that doesn't pan out. But we still need to take care of the other side too. So that would be my look at because Martin could play guard or he could play right tackle because that takes care of the other side. That is a good I don't point. want to wait yeah. too long. No, no. Man, where are all these people – like when I get bombarded on Twitter with these these uh, asshats who who try to try to skin me alive when I say that like Zach Martin's a left tackle or, or a right tackle or I, I talk about Calvin Pryor. Where are these people? Where are you guys? Because uh, I got to say that Calvin Pryor might be like a top three guy for me right now, depending on how the board falls, of course. I mean, if – if there are some other guys available at 19, I'd be less tempted to, to go with a safety. But uh, in terms of what we're boasting on the on the back end of our defense right now, Pryor makes a lot of sense. I, I have to say, I'm intrigued by that guy. I mean, the guy the guy is just a total hammer. It's impressed the hell out of me. I've watched a lot of it. And he's surprisingly good uh, in terms of getting after the ball because a lot of those guys, and let's let's face it, Chris Clemens. I mean, Chris Clemens hits like a truck, but uh, I mean, he has zero, next to no chance of catching the football, and when he does, we're all surprised. Kind of like when the ball used to go to, towards Sean Smith, and we're like, Ooh, that kind of thing. So I like Pryor. I, I like Rasheed Hakeman. I'm a big fan of Rasheed Hakeman. I, obviously, I live in a, a region where that guy – that guy's all over the place and plays, and he's impressed me. But uh, Zach Martin remains a, a viable option. And uh, I'm sorry if I put that curse upon you. I'm glad that you're you're, ha- you're happy about it, though. That, that takes a little bit of the pressure off. Um, interesting thing, and, and I wasn't on the show last week. Uh, I was obviously away. I don't know what you guys talked about. Uh, and this doesn't really have anything to do to, to do with us, but uh, Taylor Luan's combine performance kind of caught me by surprise because I figured he was going to be like the awkward third wheel type guy in this offensive tackle class, and he just blew Indianapolis apart. So, I mean, he's absolutely in to the point where I'm not sure the Giants can pass on that guy given what happened to Eli Manning last year. I don't. I don't know if you can. You can look at Taylor Lawn and say, "Man, I don't know." But so it's interesting that to see some of these guys making that late push. Aaron Donald's another guy because Aaron Donald. Uh, when I mentioned that he could go as high as number fourteen, I think I said that last month. I had some guy uh, straight up. Well, he called me an expletive. He wasn't very nice about it. Pretty much told me I was a, a complete moron. But now look at him. I mean, that guy is just a power three technique all the way. And, I mean, if Chicago takes him, I don't think that's going to surprise anyone. It'll depend what they do with uh, – because I know that they have Ratliff in there, but one defensive tackle is not going to solve it for those guys. We don't know what will happen with Melton. Uh, they they have some severe issues on the defensive line. So, I mean, all those guys are options. Uh, Dallas would be insane to pass on Aaron Donald right now. So, I – I'm going to be surprised if Aaron Donald makes it to us. I guess that's my long rambling way of, of saying that. I think that guy's good enough that I think his stock will get him 
selected before that. But I don't disagree. If if Martin's there, that's cool. And, I, I mean, if we get – we know that uh, if Dennis Hickey was as involved with Tampa's draft as he's leading us on to believe, then, we, then he's into the hammer safety. And Calvin Pryor has a lot of Mark Barron in his game. And that guy drafted Mark Barron, what, seventh overall? So, food for thought. Okay, let me ask, let me before I address that. Let me ask one more. Let me ask another question. How much okay. stock do you get? How much stock do you guys take in the combine itself? Because I'm looking at it like this. I don't want to know how fast you can run in shorts and sneakers on um, a flat surface. Fa- I want to know how fast you can run when you're wearing the pads and there's people chasing after you. That's what I want to know. I think most people treat it as. What's the, what's the cliche that Mayak puts out there? It confirms what you see on tape. I, I think that's fair. Uh, with with Luan, what interests me about his straight line speed is he had a lot of people talking about how he was a, a poor fit in the zone blocking scheme because he didn't have the kind of athleticism to get to the second level. Well, you know, maybe they need to go back and, and look at that again because, I mean, it, it certainly looks like he's got the – the wheels to at least make a difference getting to the second level. So, I mean, they, for us, it, it it matters what these these offensive linemen run, kind of. Not totally. I mean, it's not like if the guy runs a 4-4, he's an offensive lineman, which I, I understand is ridiculous. But if that happened, it's not like we'd be all over him. But it, it, it can do a few things in terms of confirming uh, athleticism, being able to get down the field and, and whatnot. But I, I don't put a lot of a ton of stock in it. I mean, really the only thing that kills me at the Combine is when you get these supposed speedsters. They could be receivers or corners, um, linebackers even, or safeties, and they're supposed to really run a fast time, and they go in there and drop like a 4.6 or a 4.7 on you. I think I do have a problem with that. But I think it's different because you're holding the, the second and third levels of defense to a higher standard, really. So I mean, yeah, and but, uh, well, what you're saying with the, the combine there is, is what Mike, well, it's what Mayak said this year is about, you know, you've got these guys that you go in and you check the box, you know, uh, a guy comes in and you expect him to perform well athletically, and he does. You you either use the combine to kind of confirm what you see on tape, or it makes you go back and watch tape. And uh, we talked about this a little bit last week. And the example I used, I used two this year. I used two examples. One was Marquise Lee, who goes out and runs a four or five something. And you watch his tape and you think, well, he plays faster than that. So why was his time not so good? It kind of makes you review. Go back and look at his tape. The other I used from last year was Ryan Swope. And I know, Keith, you and I watched a lot of tape of Ryan Swope, and I did not see a four three four guy when I play his table. Kevin uh, is wearing a Ryan Swope jersey right now, by the way. Who's that? Kevin. So, um, I am actually wearing uh, A&M colors right now, but it's because Florida Tech actually has the same colors as Texas A&M. So, that's just coincidence. The, uh, the um, Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that the combines stop I mean, I think it can help stock go up or down, but I don't think necessarily the 40 time is is what it is. Um, I think you expect to see guys perform athletically. I think you want to see 
the field drills. You want to see how they respond uh, and stuff like that. And I think it's a it's a good way to kind of isolate uh, to isolate a player who may be surrounded by better talent in college. For example, let's say you've got a guard prospect, and everybody says, "Oh, this guard is a great guard prospect." And he goes to the combine or, or whatever, and uh, he, he doesn't he doesn't perform as well. And you're like, you know, why did he not perform as well? Maybe he was surrounded by better offensive linemen. Uh, and I think we were talking last night on, on the, another thread about Alabama players, and I think you kind of get a syndrome there with they're just surrounded. There's so many good players on that team, but a lot of times they don't. When they get to the NFL, they don't play as well because they just don't. They're not. You know, it's not that they're not surrounded by talent there, but it, it's just that being on such a great college team and overwhelming lesser opponents there kind of masks a lot of the deficiencies. So, um, you know, I think that the combine kind of brings out some of that stuff in prospects. You see, you see what happens with a guy like Quanja who goes out and, yeah, he runs a slow time, which doesn't mean a lot, but then you watch him in the drills and he just doesn't look as good. And, you know, I think that can damage the stock because then people are saying, oh, wait a minute, we see, we see some stuff on tape, we have some issues, and now we see some issues with him athletically, you know, and that, that can cause, you know, a player to uh, lose money in the sense that he might be playing guard one day and they don't get paid as much as tackles. Like he was talking about with Ted one. He goes out and puts on a show, and people think, hey, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, he's more of a right tackle. Now they're saying, hey, this guy can probably play left tackle. And so he, he made himself some money. I think that uh, the most important thing, for me at least, at the combine, would be uh, a lot of the cone drills I think are important because you want to see that, like, that short that short area burst. You'd be able to handle, uh, handle corners and whatnot. Uh, and I think the interviews are more important than people think. So I understand that they don't get a lot of time with, with each prospect, but it, it's I, I think that that one-on-one FaceTime is, is just as important, if not more so, than the majority of you know like what they're doing on the bench press, uh, unless it's it's something terrible. But that said, the one like the one thing that really turned my head at the combine was Brandon Cooks running that 4-3. And the reason I say that is because he's a good route runner. Okay, and usually when guys are good route runners, they, you typically say they'll run like a like a, a low 4-5 or a mid 4-5, like a lot of those guys with the Packers. And people say, ah, it's okay. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great route runner. You know, he, he creates separation uh, out, of his break and every, out of his breaks and everything, so it's not that big of a deal. You're adding a 4-3 to a guy who runs routes really well, and that just, to me, screams like something we could use. Because, I mean, we, we hear people complain about how Mike Wallace runs routes. I understand that uh, we were able to get a decent amount out of him with the, the routes that uh, we put him through. But, I mean, Brandon Cooks is a route-running machine. I mean, you look, I mean, like, you, dude, he just dices that route tree. It's outstanding. So that's, that kind of stuff catches my, my attention because you're talking about a guy uh, who's got the discipline and the technique to to run these flawless routes. And then, I mean, what happens when he creates that separation and gets the gets the ball? A lot of a lot of our guys who run great routes on the team can't do much after the catch. Like Brandon Gibson's not going to wow you after the catch. Brian Hartline's not going to really wow you after the catch. Brandon Cook is a home run. So, I mean, that, that kind of stuff, I mean, if you're running a West Coast offense, that kind of stuff will, will pique your interest a little bit. Or West Coast-ish offense, now that we have laser in there. I look at the uh, combine 
for two, for two reasons, and three if you want to count the interviews, because like you said, Keith, that the interviews are a huge process, and it's not something that we ever get to see, obviously. Yeah. I look at it for flaws because instead of looking for players that jump out and, oh, my God, this guy is the greatest thing ever, so you end up with the track star who can't catch and can't do anything but sure can run fast, I think that That's if happened. you – you see the flaws like Quanjo because he looked so incredibly stiff that obviously something was wrong there. And then you get the reports of the arthritis in the knee and failed physicals. So it starts to make sense. But I think the other thing that the combine gives us is whether or not um, you're, you're seeing guys run in pads or, they're not necessarily running routes or coverage that they would run, but they're running that straight line speed. But it at least gives you a comparison ability. You can look at a guy that ran a 40 this year and compare it to a guy that ran the 40 three years ago because it's on the exact same track. It's at the exact same place. You know the distance is exact because on pro days you have that little fudge factor where maybe it was a 38-yard 40, maybe it was 39 yards. You know, so everything is level, at least, for the combine. So maybe you can't necessarily go like Swope last year. He's going to be the greatest wide receiver ever, I think. But it at least gives you the ability to say, okay, he ran this time. Who else has run that time? Okay, what's the differences between the two? And it does make you go back and start to look at film with the basis of, okay, if he ran the same time as this guy, will he have the same type of career? No, because he doesn't run routes as well. Or no, because his hands, he's more of a body catcher than a hand catcher. And just to just for my uh, my defense, the only reason that I wanted Swope, yes, his 40 time was amazing, which caught everybody's attention. But the only reason <laughs> I wanted him was because he was Tannehill's roommate. He was Tannehill's security blanket at A&M. So you're giving him another piece that he knows and can succeed with. Which yeah, 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 we know. We know. Not, ended up not panning out because he had to retire because of the concussion. So, yeah. But, <laughs> no, he, he retired because Kevin forced him into retirement. I, he didn't I, with the Dolphins. And, and one thing, one thing that I agree with, what one thing about what Kevin's saying that I kind of agree with is when you when you watch a guy play, you can't put a number. Next to next to what he's doing on the field when he's playing, you know you you watch a wide receiver play and you watch his tape and you're like, oh, this guy looks fast, you know, you know, but you don't really have kind of a way to to quantify his speed. When you, when you get these forty times and other stuff, you can quantify it now. So when you watch a guy uh, like my, my boy Moncrief, you watch him watch him run some routes. You say, all right, this is a guy with full force speed, watch him do it. It just kind of gives you kind of a just a, a something to put a little weight behind it. So, you know, other than saying, hey, this guy looks fast and plays fast, you can say, hey, this guy has X amount of speed or he has X amount of athleticism or, you know, with a guy like uh, Mike Evans, you know, what, you know, look at his broad jump or how high he can, it's vertical and say, well, he's a, you know, a red zone threat. He can, he can go up and get the ball or, well, now we know, kind of have a number to put by that. So that, that's another thing about it. Oh, right on. <laughs> what else do we want to talk about? 
a little loopy here. Uh, well, um, oh my god, I forgot what I was. Gonna... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, before that, after that whole combine situation went over, I wanted to ask if, assuming you take the defensive tackle in the first round, what are you taking for the second? Because we still have the offensive line to worry about. Are you taking a chance that Tiny falls and then try to trade up there? Hmm. Uh, a couple of options, I'd assume. Uh, I think guard will likely be in play. Um, David Yankee didn't have a very good combine. Uh, I, th- I know some people thought he looked stiff, but that's one where, again, not really a big deal. You look at his tape. I mean, that guy can definitely play. Definitely ideal in his own blocking scheme. Uh, there's a couple of decent, like, second-round I guess you'd say tackles available, or maybe, like your theory, maybe we, we shoot for that defensive tackle then. Because, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, defensive tackle might not need to be something we, we go after in the first round. So you'll see a little bit of that. I think, uh, I don't really know what Hickey's tendencies are at this point yet, but I imagine that there's going to be some pretty crazy day two talent with how, well, day two and day three talent with how deep this draft is, so really the sky's the limit, but if um, if we don't address the offensive line in the first round, then and if we have a guy like Monroe in there, then I think that we would look for a right tackle or a guard, and if we don't have Monroe in there, if for some reason we don't get a left tackle, then well, you know where that number 19 thing is going. Right, but that's what I'm asking. If Assuming we have Monroe, that takes care of the left side. Who are you looking at to take the right if we take the defensive tackle first? Uh, I like Cameron Fleming. I've gotten some crap on Twitter about that guy, too. But I like Cameron Fleming a lot. I know some people are going to be gun-shy about Stanford because, well, obviously it's Jonathan <laughs> Martin. But uh, I, I think Cameron Fleming is a really good prospect. I think a guy who's an outstanding right tackle prospect in this draft is a Juwan James from uh, Tennessee. I like him a lot. Uh, I'm just kind of going through right now some some guys who strike me as... Uh, or we could wait a little bit longer and get like a James Hurst. You know, James Hurst would probably be a, a day three guy uh, since he wasn't able to really do much uh, because of the injury he suffered uh, in that bowl game right before New Year's. So, I mean, there's definitely guys out there we can look at. Um, Will Yeatman. Yeah, Will Eaton. There you go. That's the guy I'm looking at. I, I honestly think that this is the year Will Eaton starts to come up because now this all assumes that his knee heals okay, but obviously he's somebody that Philbin saw potential as an offensive lineman in. They started to use him last year in that sixth offensive lineman tackle-eligible type role to get him some experience and 17 snaps into his – playing time this year, he shreds his knee. So, assuming he comes back healthy, he is absolutely somebody that I could see the Dolphins going into camp. Maybe not he is the starter, but going into camp with, hey, go out there and prove what you can do. And he's somebody that could play that, be that surprise guy. I would watch Will Yeatman this year, again, assuming he comes on or comes back healthy. True, 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 true. Well, I'm rooting for that, definitely, because anytime we can fix something in-house, that says something is going right in the organization. 
Is it Willie Eaton yeah. like seven feet tall? The guy's just enormous. I, I do think that he's about nine and a half feet tall, and he's 822 pounds. He's almost as tall as George Washington was. Right, right. Not quite oh. as tall as Brian McKinney, who may be the largest man I've ever seen on TV or in person. But have you seen McKinney yeah. in person? I have. That man, that man is just a a whale of a human. Yeah, I think I think they said last year that he is officially the biggest person to ever wear a Dolphins jersey. Well, that, that doesn't surprise me. I was going to say, who is who is the tallest player in the league? Is it King Dunlap? Because King Dunlap's like six ten, I think. There's a target yeah, for you. Tallest. Six like, ten. I don't care what position. I don't care what position he plays. If he's six ten, go send him in the end zone. Just throw it to him. <laughs> that's not yeah. That's not a bad call. It's just funny because I was watching. I think it was some game uh, on Monday night the, the Chargers were in, and like they were in the huddle, and he's standing next to the guys who are like six five, six six, and it just looked like little kids next next to King Dunlap. So I don't know. Yeah, well, you need to be a, a nice option. Uh, we could have potentially one of our guard spots already solidified uh, if if our Coaching staff develops brains and figures out that Dallas Thomas belongs at guard and not tackle. Okay, well, whose idea, was it, whose idea was it to make Thomas a tackle in the first place? Was it Turner or I, Philbin? I don't know. Just let them blame each other. Who cares? Uh, I, just, I didn't agree with that at the time. Now. What? It, it might make a difference now because we got a new O-line coach. Well, t- I can tell you that I feel a lot better about John Benton than I do. Uh, uh, Turner. So I think that if uh, I if if Benton can't get anything out of Dallas Thomas and Dallas Thomas is playing the inside, then I mean, yeah, flush him. But uh, I I don't know because I know some people were hanging on because Dallas Thomas was originally a, a tackle prospect, and then he kicked inside at Tennessee so uh, so Antonio Richardson could take left tackle, and I thought Thomas was much better as a guard looks much more natural, too. So then he gets that weird tackle guard uh, tag uh, placed on him, and then he goes into the draft, and then we take him. And all of a sudden, it's like we're playing him at tackle. It's like, well, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah, he was decent at the position in college, but I think this guy's a guard. I mean, he. I mean, at worst, he's a right guard. And I prefer to see him on the left side, preferably, but that's really not up to me. Hey, just for the record, because we were talking about it, uh, the official tallest player in NFL history was Richard Sly. He was mm-hmm. a seven-foot-tall, tenth-round pick in the 1967 draft by the Raiders. Which the fact that it was the Raiders that drafted the seven-foot-tall guy doesn't really surprise me. Well, uh, who else did take him? He didn't. He probably didn't run all that fast. So maybe maybe he didn't get the 40 time you need to normally Richard be a Raider. Was a great player. <laughs> He, he he only played he only played eight games in his rookie season, but he was on the team when they went to Super Bowl two. Uh, so just want to say that. All all, all, <laughs> all you need to do is just put, put the ball in his hands and let him fall down, and he's got a first down. Right. I'm surprised they didn't try to get Daryl or Monica to throw him the ball. Daryl, throw the ball as far downfield as possible. 
Richard Sly is a great player. He'll catch it every time. Oh, my God. I don't know about NFL history, but I do know that uh, – well, I don't – as of uh, – I think it was uh, last season or a couple of seasons ago, Will Eatman did have the largest hands in yeah. the NFL. Yeah. They measured 11 and three-quarters inches. Those are monstrous. That's like a that's like having a center fielder's glove for hands. <laughs> that's something to visualize. Very, it's almost like an Edward Scissorhands type thing. <laughs> Let's all go measure our hands now. <laughs> uh, not even close. Okay. Uh, let me. Don't make this weird. Like, oh, what? <clears throat> so don't make this weird. Con- continue. <laughs> Okay, I wanted to switch gears for a minute. I'm sure everybody noticed that there is one Champ Bailey who is missing from the Denver Broncos. I'm not looking at him as an upgrade at the position. Oh, however, I am, <laughs> I am, however, looking at an upgrade from the leadership position. And here's why. I was watching NFL Network earlier this morning. And some, I don't remember who it was that said it, but they said something rather profound. The leadership suddenly goes away, then loud becomes leader. And that's why Incognito was the leader on the team. He was just the loudest guy there. So I'm looking at Champ Bailey as a mentor kind of guy for like, the likes of Jamar Taylor, Will Davis, and he is a class personified guy who can keep the locker room steady. Interesting. I hadn't thought about this. Kevin, do you want to bring Champ Bailey aboard? Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> uh, Kevin, hey, moving on. Just a second. Moving on, yes. Unbelievable. Hello. Anyway, I would – I don't know. Uh, it depends what he costs because, I mean, the, I'd imagine that in terms – well, aside from the fact that his uh, his skills have greatly declined uh, over the past few years, and who can really blame him? The guy was drafted when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I, I know a big reason was because of that massive cap that he was going to – he was going to deliver to them. So, I mean, I understand that, but, I mean – I don't think that that's a bad idea. I love the the idea of being able to get some real leader, leadership in there. Do you think that Brent Grimes can provi- provide any of that leadership to Taylor and Davis and so on, so forth? I think as a mentor, he can do it, but he hasn't. Grimes has not garnered the reputation that one Champ Bailey or a Charles Woodson or even a Ray Lewis had garnered. Grimes is good as a player, but he's not like a household name kind of a guy, like Champ Bailey. Right. I don't think you have to be a household name necessarily to be uh, to be the leader, but I think part of the reasons Grimes didn't really emerge as a leader last year was because he was only really here for last year. He was on that one-year contract. He's now under contract for four years. I think you can kind of peg him in a leadership role now. He He's on this team for at least the next two years. So I think they're going to lean on him because, A, he is, he is a, one of the better players in the league. He, he made a Pro Bowl. 
he he has some influence now in terms of people around the league recognize him as a talented player. He's kind of known there. But I think inside the locker room, people are like, hey, this guy is, you know, this guy is important enough that he, he was the one guy that the Dolphins decided to bring back immediately. They had to have. So, um, yeah, I, I think he will step into that leadership role. As for Champ Bailey, I mean, if you want to move him to free safety, that would be fine. But I, I don't think I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to sign him just for leadership. Uh, I mean, I think you can. You can find yeah, I'm just you can find the last other players, you know, that are going to contribute more. I'm just thinking that because after last year's debacle, I'm like, okay, we had no leadership before. Let's bring in some leaders this time. Because if you remember, if you recall last season, I had written an, uh, a post about bringing in older guys with reputation who could lead a locker room. They had experience doing so. I do recall that. And don't uh, and don't be surprised if uh, if Ryan Tannehill doesn't doesn't become the guy this year to just be the leader of the locker room. I mean, it's his third year. Um, you know, plenty of fans believe in him. I believe the team believes in him. The coaches believe in him. Uh, I think he's he he can be, even though he's not necessarily a veteran player. I think they will start to. I think we'll start to see him become kind of, um, you know, kind of become the man in the locker room. I think he's, I think he's got enough respect from the players that that, that he can kind of, he can kind of assume that role now. He's a man. He's forty. Anyway, uh, we're <laughs> we're right around right. the the ninety, the 90 minute mark, uh, and I need to go take my salt bath. So. Yeah, if we could uh, go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, any last-minute thoughts you guys are are having? Um, I think I think Miami's going to sign at least four offensive linemen in free agency. I think they're four? going to go. I think they're going to sign four. Um, I think they're going to. I think they're going to get a left tackle. That's going to be the big ticket item. I think they're going to sign a couple of guards um, or a guy like uh, Roger Saffold who can play guard or tackle. Uh, I believe they're going to let the market kind of settle down and then go after a right tackle. Not a guy who is, you know, that you expect to necessarily start, but a guy who can compete for a starting role. I think they'll go for that. But I do not see them going into this draft with, a hole in the offensive line. I mean, I, at least in terms of having having not having a starter. I think they're going to go into this draft with five starting caliber players on the offensive line, and then they can draft for what they want to, be it an offensive lineman or any other position. But I just don't see them going into the draft needing a right tackle. I think because of how bad the line was last year, I think they're going to just make sure that they have – what they want for agency. They have the money to do it. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more free agent signings this year simply because of that position, those positions. I think we're going to see them fill up at offensive line. Um, they may target uh, another inside linebacker prospect, probably looking for a safety as well. 
I think those are the positions we'll see. Maybe and then, you know, of course, cheaper guys, not not necessarily uh, big name guys, but some cheaper guys up for defensive tackles and things like that. So, I think they're going to. I think they're going to be spending more money than kind of what I originally thought. I thought they wouldn't be real big spenders, but um, I think they're going to go out and really, really address the offensive line in, in, in free agency. Just they're going to they're going to make sure that that's taken care of well before the draft. And then anything they draft for offensive line is just icing on the cake at that point. Hmm. Well, hard to argue with that. How about you guys? Anything? Uh, I think, well, okay. go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Um, I don't know if they'll, dra- if they'll sign four because to me that seems a little bit overkill. It's a little bit overkill. Maybe like three because we still got to save a little money for other upgrades because we're still looking to upgrade the safety position. We're still looking to find that one power back that's going to get us the third and one that eluded us all last year. And we, we, there's got to, there's so many uh, good linemen in the draft. It'd be kind of, um, I guess the word would be wasteful if we didn't at least get a, a couple. I'm looking at a running back, Maurice Jones, Drew, maybe Ben Tate. I'm really hoping for Legarrette Blunt. And at the safety position, I, I don't know. Maybe we can move Champ Bailey there. Maybe we can. Um, Maybe make some kind of a push for Jairus Bird if we have enough cash. I'm not. I'm not expecting that in any way. But we have uh, other upgrades that we can make in free agency, and there's a lot of uh, good linemen in the draft. So I'm not looking at four uh, signed free agents for the O line. I agree with Duke. I don't think they go into the draft not ha- not having the offensive line almost completely set. Now that being said. That doesn't mean they aren't drafting somebody, but I think that you are going into the draft with a intact offensive line ready to go, and then if the draft falls to the point where, I mean, let's say for whatever reason Jake Matthews decides to fall to 19, of course the Dolphins are taking him, and you put competition into training camp, and if you can't keep or if you don't, if the veteran doesn't beat out the rookie, you cut him or you, you figure out some way to make the combination work. But I, I, I agree with Duke. I think they are signing a lot. of, And it, it won't be, I mean, Eugene Monroe might not be the answer. Uh, could you get somebody like, um, let's say, Anthony Collins? Could you get Anthony Collins at a cheaper price who's going to give you relatively – decent production. I mean, it won't be Eugene Monroe level, but it will be good enough. Could you get him cheaper? And assuming that not every offensive lineman is going to make $7 million this year, the Dolphins will still have plenty of cap space because they're, they're right around $35 million right now. Uh, maybe a little bit less, but it's somewhere in that neighborhood right now. So, You'll have enough money, I think. Now, if you are going after Bird, obviously that's going to hurt, and that's going to take a chunk of that cap space. Um, if they have to overpay Soli or Starks to keep them because 
they desperately want to keep one of them, then, yeah, that's going to hurt. Somebody like MJD, you probably can get fairly cheaply at this point just because he, he is on the end of his career. So I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I do. I think that you may not you may not get five or four top-of-the-line offensive linemen signed, but I think you probably go into the draft with at least five identified players ready to take the starter position on the offensive line, assuming – not or assuming somebody isn't taken in the draft. If somebody's taken in the draft, you could end up with six starters fighting for five positions. And maybe that is the answer because we still don't know what the status of Mike Pouncey is. So you may need six starters ready to go when the season opens. All good thoughts. All right. I'm going to call it because, well, I need to go dope myself up on some medicine and uh, enjoy the rest <laughs> of my night. So, oh, uh, what? I didn't get a chance to uh, give all give all the uh, advice over the radio. So tell you what, I'm gonna write a post about all the stuff that I do for natural medicine, how I get healed up. Okay, dude, just for you, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> good, good. I'm on that natural natural medicines right now. I gotta be honest, I, and because. Uh, when uh, whenever I feel like total garbage, and I do right now, uh, and I'll try I'll try pretty much anything. And since they've pretty much ruined Nyquil, since I, I guess uh, and Robitussin for all those jerks who used to drink the entire bottle and Robo Trip off of it or whatever that's called. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so, all right. Oh man. So yeah, uh, we had uh, some awesome calls tonight. Uh, a lot of good info going back and forth. A lot of some pretty awesome discussions. I enjoyed it as always. Lewis, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I hope that uh, if we do this show next week, you're able to call in again. And same goes for Kevin. Uh, for Duke, James, producer, uh, myself, I'm Keith. Uh, this has been the Finsider Radio. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Good night. Good night, everyone. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, Seems smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.